Good evening, brethren. Welcome to another life class on a Wednesday. And it's going to be a great life class. I'm so pumped, elated, excited about the current series that we are on, Money Matters, because money matters matter. Last week, Wednesday was simply powerful as we laid a strong and secure foundation and we are going to be progressing tonight, going further on this uh, series. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Our pilot text for tonight is taken from the book of Genesis in chapter 25. We're going to read from verse 29 to verse 34. Genesis 25 verse 29 to 34. Now it reads, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as is of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stews of lentils. Then he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Well, most of us know this story about Esau and Jacob. And we understand what was happening here. And we know the end of the story also. We often vilify Jacob as being this cunning fraudster, this deceptive person that went in to deceive his father, Isaac, to give him the blessing, the blessing of the firstborn instead of Esau. Uh, and so we, we paint Jacob as the fraudster. But for me, I would say that Esau had already given over the birthright to Jacob prior to this time. What is the birthright? The birthright is the right to the blessing. So Esau had given up his birthright for a meal, dinner, lunch. I don't know what period of time it was in the day. So I would, I, I, I'd argue that by reason of that exchange, it was actually Esau that was now in the wrong, still expecting to receive a birthright, the blessing uh, that he had already traded to Jacob. So Jacob was the one that was legitimate, while Esau was the one that was illegitimate. So Jacob was not really stealing. He was simply taking what had already been given to him. You see, Esau had come home hungry and Jacob offered him food for his birthright and Esau said what is this birthright to me in other words he was saying what of what value is this birthright to me seeing that I'm so hungry and I'm about to die he rationalized that if he died that the birthright would have no meaning it will have no value but was he really going to die it's interesting how sometimes we find rationales we find reasons to just justify what we want to do. This was a classic scenario of eating your future today because the birthright represented his future while that meal was transient. It was just about today. It was a classic example of sacrificing the eternal for the temporal. 
So the real question here is a value question. You see, Esau did not value his birthright. He considered getting a good meal more valuable than his birthright. And the truth be told, we are all faced with value questions every single day. And we, we, but they often don't present themselves the way or as clearly as the Esau and Jacob scenario. But we are faced with value questions every day and we have to choose between options. Every proposition before you is actually a value question. That you are in this life class tonight is only an evidence of a value question that you faced before you came into this life class tonight. And your answer to that value question was that being in this life class is more important, is more valuable to you than doing something else. So that was your answer to the value question. Everything, every proposition before you is actually a value question. And too many of us right now in the day that we are living in are not making the right choices with our value questions. And another key thing that's important to note is that we are living in a day and age where we are very much preoccupied with the cost of things, the cost of living crisis instead of focusing on the value of things because it's value at the end of the day that really matters. So the subject of my meditation, my teaching tonight is it's a value question. On Facebook, on YouTube, wherever you're watching this from right now, why not type into the feed, it's a value question. It's a value question. Are you giving the right answers to the value questions that are coming in your life? Let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me tonight. I ask that you speak through me. I ask that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I may inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women that are watching, that are listening, your living truth, and that by reason of that truth will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Let strong and clear teaching anointing, yet prophetic in its delivery, be upon me as I teach, as I rightly divide your word, O oh God. Unveil great truths to us, Lord, I pray, and help us to become masters of money. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray. And the people said aloud, Amen. Amen, amen. Type amen in your feed. If you still haven't invited anybody right now, go ahead and invite them because we are moving strong and you are going to be blessed. Now, I want you to realize that your heart is the heart of the matter. Your heart is the heart of the matter. You see, your heart, whether physically or spiritual, is the center of your life. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 lets us know that we are meant to guard our hearts with all the diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Your heart is critical. Everything ultimately is going to be determined by your heart. In the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, we read something interesting. Let me read it to you. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where three thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal. My focus is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. So to, 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 to put this scripture in context, I'm laying a foundation again. We're going somewhere. The text says that your priority should be on treasures in heaven over treasures on the earth. Your focus should be on eternal security over temporal comfort. Uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. But, but th th this argument that is being presented here, this principle that has been, th th this thought that has been presented about elevating um, heavenly things over earthly things is underpinned by the principle. And the principle that underpins it is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the location of your treasure is the location of your heart. The location of your heart is the location of your treasure. Do you see it? Can you see it in, in an equation format? The location of your treasure is equal to the location of your heart. The location of your heart is equal to the location of your treasure. So if I want to find your heart, all I need to do is find your treasure and there will be your heart also. And if I want to find your treasure, all I need to do is find your heart and there your treasure will be also. Now, a lot of us might say a lot of things. We might pay lip service to what we are committed to, to what is important to us. But the real truth in the pudding <laughs> is where you spend your money. Oh, yes, where you spend your money. You see, your spending habits reveal a lot about you. You say you love this, love that, and love the other, but it is where you spend your money that often reveals what your priorities are and what you really love. Where your heart is, you will spend more on that because that is what you treasure. So it's still a value question. What is valuable to you? Because what is valuable to you, your treasure, is where your heart will be and that is where your money will be going, all right? Now, last week, Wednesday, we had a great time talking about God and money. It was to lay a strong foundation that we are now building upon. Um, I, I'm not preaching the whole message again. If you missed it, you need to go and listen to it again. Even if you didn't miss it, you need to listen to it again because there was so much great truth right in there. Some of the key thoughts that are very important is that God is not opposed to you having money. He's just opposed to money having you. We learned that money is not the root of all kinds of evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of, of itself is colorless, odorless, and characterless. It takes on the color, the smell, and the character of the holder. You cannot serve God and money, but you must serve God with money. So it's really uh, all about mastery. It's about stewardship. We are meant to be faithful stewards of what God gives us. You see, and how do you be a faithful steward of what God has given you? You be a faithful, faithful steward of what God has given you by multiplying it. Remember the parable where it says that God gives one person one talent, another person 
two talents, another person five talents, and the reward or the acknowledgement at the end of the day went to the person, the persons that multiplied what was given to them. So the proof of good stewardship in, is in your maximizing and multiplying what God gives to you. We are meant to be faithful stewards of what God gives to us. But last week, profound to me was the thought that or on how on the fact that how we handle and manage money affects or reflects on how we will handle and manage weightier things so really our relationship with money is so important it's so vital it's so common it's at the center of our lives whether we like it or not so how we relate with it how we manage it is it, it reveals so much about us you cannot be, we cannot be good stewards of money and serve, we cannot be good stewards of money and serve God with money without, first of all, understanding money and how it works. Understanding money and how it works. So we're going back to the basics of understanding money even tonight. I'm moving fast because I want to cover quite a bit of ground um, tonight. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. And the, the, the construction is very deliberate to give you clarity and understanding. What is money? We're going to explore the, uh, its origins, the origin of money. To truly understand money, we have to go to its origin. How money came to be. How did money come to be? The origin of money. Well, one of the first things we need to understand is that money was not God's idea. When God created the heavens and the earth and put man in the garden of Eden, there was no such thing as money. It's money is man's creation. <laughs> money is man's creation. Initially, there was no money, even as man was, was progressing. But uh, so, so early in the day, transactions were made by trade by barter. Trade by barter. So what I would do is that I would bring what I have, you would bring what you have, we would then do an exchange with what we had. That was trade by batter. Uh, and, and what happened in the trade by batter is that there had to be some form of estimation between the value of what I had with the value of what you had to be able to determine what exchange we could make. make. Uh, by, by uh, the, the problem with trade by batter is that trade by batter was dependent on the coincidence of need. So that means that even though I want what you have, you also had to need or want what I had. And sometimes that was not the case. So even though I want what you have, you don't want what do I have, so I can't trade with you. So then I have to find out what do you want and maybe go and trade with somebody else that has what you want uh, and once what I have, get what you want, then I bring what you want and use it to trade with what you have that I want. I hope I'm making sense. So it, this was highly inefficient because it was dependent on the coincidence of need. And this naturally resulted in the, the, the development of what we called commodity money. I'm talk, talking to you quickly, teaching you on the evolution of money. So commodity money such as cowries, shells, seeds, grains, barley, and ultimately precious metals was now being used as a medium of exchange. How to, so I didn't have to necessarily go and bring some 
um, specific product that you needed, I could now use these commodity monies as the medium of exchange. This later evolved into what we called coinage. And even when you study the, the development of coins, initially coins were made of precious metals, uh, which, was, which was because of their intrinsic value. So they were gold coins, silver coins, and bronze coins and so we use the value because they had those those metals already had intrinsic value and so we weighed there that we used it um, based on weight so a gold coin that weighs this much a gold coin that weighs that much increased the value and increased what you could exchange it it for but Precious metal coinage uh, started to be estimated not by their, uh, their their intrinsic value, but by the value that they now represented. Because getting precious metals was now becoming more and more challenging because they're precious, they're scarce, right? So a change occurred where man, men stopped seeing coins or weighing coins by how valuable they were intrinsically that is the material that was used to make them and now started to value coins based upon uh, the value that was um, assigned to it. The value that was assigned to it. So coming to modern day, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I want to just get you to see some things that the, the value, the intrinsic value of a 50p coin as opposed to a uh one pound coin might not there might not be a huge difference between the two of them but we have assigned a 50p value to the 50p coin and assigned a one pound value to the one point pound coin it's not about their intrinsic their real value it's about the value we have assigned to them so this is what coinage was about uh, we started to view the coins no longer by what their real value is, their intrinsic value. We started to view the coins based upon the value that we had assigned to them. Um, so, so, so this was this was the key, uh, as the idea of money being a measure of value rather than being of something of value in itself caught on. We then were able to move from coins to what is called paper money and then finally uh we've moved on even to today uh to the creation of, of 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 various currencies around the globe but the evolution has not stopped the evolution continues we've moved from a cash driven society to largely a cashless society obviously very much in the in the in the developed world but also the developing world has catched up with this whole ideology and even that hasn't stopped we're not just a cashless society now we're we're moving on to things like cryptocurrency where um you see the the the, the cashless society is backed up by um real money physical money or or gold you know, have you heard about the gold standard that are held in certain vaults and uh, and banks? Uh, uh, very often, right now, we don't even get to go into those golds and banks. How many of you watched Money Heist? <laughs> that was phenomenal. If you understand the economics, apart from the how enjoyable the whole series was, the economics behind the gold that they were taking out of the banks and how you could actually still continue to run society 
with the illusion of gold being there that really was not there because <laughs> it's ridiculous when you understand how economies and how money really works in fact now we're in an in age i don't know how many of you have heard about nfts now nfts blockchain technology all of these things are about value perception of value artificial value and so on and so forth so you see that money has evolved and has has changed so what really is money we're going back to the basics what really is money i'll give you three characteristics of money that will help you to understand what money is money is one a medium of exchange money is a medium of exchange when it is being this is when it is being used for the purchase of um, uh, of the purpose of buying or selling goods and services. This is where money is being used as a medium of exchange. Money is a store of value. When you get, this is illustrated, when you get money today and you are still able to use it tomorrow or use it later. So that money in itself is a store of value. You know how it is when you have money in the bank, a sizable uh, sum of money, and it kind of gives you peace and puts some boister into your step. Why? Because you know it's a store of value. You know that it is increasing your po possibilities for tomorrow. And you know exactly the opposite feeling when there is no money in the bank, how you are not confident about tomorrow because it's not you don't have that store of value. Uh, number three, money is a standard of value. When you are using it to measure how much a good or a service is worth. Okay, so those are three key things you need to understand about money. Money in itself is nothing but a medium of exchange and measure of value. Those are the two key characteristics. A medium of exchange and a measure of value. Money itself does not really have intrinsic value, but rather its worth is in its measure of value of another object. So the value of money is not in itself, but in what it is agreed that it can be given in exchange for. Oh, think about it. So money, whatever the type of money, is really about value or the perception of value. The more value, the more money can be given in exchange for it. The more I perceive something to be valuable, the more money I am willing to give in exchange of ownership of that thing. The less valuable I perceive a thing to be, the less money I will be willing to give in exchange for that thing. So the real issue is not money, but value. And we make a fundamental mistake when we pursue money instead of value. <laughs> money is not really an end in itself. It's a means to an end. Why do you want money? You want money because of what it can get you. Now, money follows value. So our pursuit really should not be 
money over value, but value over money. Listen, the more valuable you are, the more valuable your product is, the more valuable your service is, the more the world is willing to give you money in exchange for you, your product, or your service. So it's about value. But it's not just about the real value of things. It's also about the perceived value or the predicted future value of a thing. So I'm, 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 this, is, this is spiritual economics class today. Let's break down value. Let's really talk about value. So what is value? What is value? The dictionary tells us that it is the regard that something is held to deserve. It is the regard that something is held, is believed to deserve. It is the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. It is the material or monetary worth of something. It is the worth of something compared to the price paid or asked for it. So value has to do with worth. Okay. Let me ask you a question, and you might type it in the feed wherever you are right now. What is valuable to you? What is valuable to you? What is valuable to you? Now, typically for all of us, something that you consider to be valuable is something that meets your needs or solves your problems. It meets your needs or it solves your problems, okay? Anything that is valuable is something that meets your needs or solves your problems. So, the greater the need it meets or the greater the problem it solves, the more valuable it is to you. If it doesn't really meet a significant need in your life or solve a significant problem in your life, you are not going to consider it to be really valuable. What might be valuable to you might not be valuable to me or might not be as valuable to me because we have different needs and problems and our priorities are also different. So this is why perceptions and interactions and transactions can be very different. You can see certain people in a particular shop and another person in another shop because per time, their value, value coefficient, what is important to them, what their priorities are, what their needs and their problems are determine where they are going to go. Okay, let's break it down further. Types of value. Let's look at types of value. Now, these are my own definitions. There are many, many other um, minds out there that have broken down value and given us various, various um, different types of value. But I'm zeroing in on four types of value from my own studies that I believe are key for you to understand. There's what we call intrinsic value. Intrinsic value. This is the actual or the real value of a thing, the actual or the real value of a thing based on its constituent parts, not taking into consideration the problem that that thing solves or the need that that thing meets. So the value of my this shirt, for example, is the intrinsic value of this shirt can be calculated based upon what was the value of the material that made the shirt 
and the effort that was put into turning that material into a shirt that's the intrinsic value okay it does not take into consideration how much somebody is willing to pay to own this shirt it's just looking at okay what's the value of the material what's the value of the of the sewing of the of the needle of the everything that came together to make the shirt we put all of those things one plus one plus one one plus one and we come to the conclusion this is the intrinsic value okay now have you seen some of those stars um maybe a football star and then they're finishing the match and he takes off his shirt and he throws it into the crowd and somebody picks up the shirt and then a few weeks months years later that person is able to sell that that shirt at a crazy amount of money and you're wondering that it's just a shirt no what has happened is that that has gone beyond the intrinsic value of the shirt and now the whole uh, association with whose shirt it was in which match it was played at and is it offended all of those things now start to affect the value it's no longer just the intrinsic value that is being taken into consideration next type of value market value the market value is also the exchange value. What, what is the going rate for this thing in the marketplace? Okay, so for example, you own a house and you know how much you paid at the beginning of owning that house. But now the, 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 there has been development around where you own the house. Various things have happened in, in society and now you want to sell the house. But because the market has changed, because there have been some new infrastructures and whatever that has come into that same neighborhood, you go out and you say, okay, how much are they selling houses now in this area? And you might find out that your house has actually increased in value. So you are able to sell it at even a higher price than you bought it at the beginning and that's the wisdom every property investor actually wants they want to be able to buy property at the right place that in a number of years the value has gone up okay then we have what we call perceived value perceived value perceived value this is subjective value um, this is value that the customer places on a thing based upon their perception of that thing okay so this is totally out of the realm of intrinsic value and that's where you find things that people are paying multiple amounts of money for that it has nothing to do with the intrinsic value this often takes place in the realm of art you know you have the Mona Lisa's you have the Michelangelo and all those kind of artworks and paintings that are cost in hundreds of thousands even millions of dollars it's nothing to do with the intrinsic value it's all about the perception that 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 people have and therefore what they are willing to give in exchange for that and then we have what i call predictive value predictive value this is this is the projected future value of a thing we are looking into the future now and we're projecting that this thing is going to be more valuable in another two weeks, in another two months, in another two years, in another 20 years. So 
I buy it low because I expect that it's going to sell high in the future. This is predictive value. Now, investors and traders work a lot based upon perceived and predicted value. So they're always trying to have an insight into the future. Uh, they look at the current perceptions, but then they want to predict the future. People transact business on the prediction of future increase in the value of a stock. So, uh, so sometimes people are even able to pay themselves in advance on credit on the speculation of the value increase in the future to cover it. So I'm able to pay high now because I said this thing is going to actually increase in value. And by the time it increases in value, it will make more than enough for the high pay that is being paid now and it's going to make it easy for the future. Okay. So, but the problem with this sometimes is when the prediction is wrong. If the prediction is wrong, someone will still have to pay. And this is how economy works. If the prediction was wrong and we've already paid high amounts of money on the front end and meanwhile the value didn't go up, what then happens on the back end is that you now have an imbalance and the market always corrects itself. Somebody is going to have to pay. And the world has become a global village such that when such mistakes are made, dominoes, uh, dominoes fall and there's a ripple effect in one country, what goes on in one country starts to affect many other countries. So it's time for us to go back to the basics. It's time for us to go back to real value. So your preoccupation, our preoccupation should not be with money, but really on how to increase your value, your real value and the perception of your value. Those are the two things you want to really work on. How do I increase my real value, and the perception of my value. There are four economic levels in the world and in countries, okay? Number one, aid-dependent is in, in a condition of extreme poverty. These countries or individuals are dependent on charity. They, there's no other way they're going to survive but through people giving them charity. Two, state-dependent. This is a little bit above Charities, what we call this developed property. This is uh, poverty, rather. This happens in the world where, where, particularly in the first world, where we give welfare, we give benefits to keep people af afloat. This is not just charities helping now. This is the state has set up structures to be able to help people to survive. Number three level is what we call the job dependent. The job de dependent is a condition of tight rope living. It's dependent on debt. This is very, very common in the developed world. It's the credit society. So we, we live on credit by borrowing to live. And then number four is the independent. The independent is a condition of freedom dependent on trade. I'm no longer de uh, dependent on credit. I'm not dependent on what the government um, has put in place them to, to help people live. Uh, and I'm definitely not dependent on charity. And we actually are meant to be trying to progress 
to the level of independence. The mass miseducation of, of, of people sets the pinnacle at job dependency because a job qualifies you for credit and we use credit to run the economy. So we actually need, from a governmental standpoint, a lot of people using credit because it's helping the economy to stay afloat. So the job gives you access to credit. So people, the, the organization, banks, financial institutions will borrow you money, taking into consideration what your job income is. So you actually are able to start to draw money you have not yet earned with the projection that you will earn it in the future. The hard truth about job dependency is that job dependency is just one paycheck or one serious bad decision away from poverty. You see how people, they lose their job and within a few months, they, they, are, they are in poverty. Or they made a big a wrong decision, invested so much in one area and boom, it didn't work out, they're in poverty. And what we are meant to be aspiring for, for is independence. The independence level is the level where I, uh, it's, it's fueled by trade, by exchange. At the top of the economic hierarchy of, of power is actually trade. Remember, God said, be fruitful. Another uh, uh, mentor that a lot of you should know about, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's author, and also the cash flow, um, the, the cash flow quadrants um, by Robert Kiyosaki talks about the four levels in a different way. He talks about the employee and then moving from employee status to being self-employed, to being business owner, to becoming an investor. And the ultimate level you want to aspire to is the investor level, to move to the investor level. So back to money and value, back to money and value. We all need money. We've established that in our teachings so far. We've, we've also established that the whole issue is that God remains the priority and God's priorities are our priorities. So it is on that foundation we can now progress to really talk about money. What are the basic sources of money? Yeah, what are the basic sources of money? How can you get money? There are four basic ways you get money. Number one, work for it. Engage your expect, expertise and labor for it. Good level. There is dignity in labor. Work to get money. Okay. You get yourself engaged somewhere working to make money. Number one source of money. Number two source. People can give money to you. That's favor. People can give you money. So engage favor. Okay. Number three level. Sell things for it. Exchange things for it. Of course, working for it is a form of exchange too. You're exchanging your labor to get paid. But when we now talk about selling things for, for it, we're talking now about trade. So that's another way you can get money. So if you're looking for money now, you can start thinking that, am I engaging these various ways I can get it? I can get it by working for it. I can get it by, um, by favor where people are willing to give me money. Uh, and a lot of the time when people favor you and give you money, there's a perception that drives that favor that causes them to give you money. Do you, you get me what I'm saying? Number three is you can sell things for it. You can trade things for it. And number four, you can make money work for you. That is when you take money and you invest it. 
where money starts to work for you. Again, this is the level we want to get to. Money is currency and it is actually always moving. Always moving. The book of Proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 and 5 lets us know that riches certainly make them for themselves wings like an eagle. It flies towards the heavens. So you see, money is always on the move. Even the millions sitting in banks around the world are, is actually not static. The money is on the move. How? Number one, the value is never static. So the value is changing every day. And transactions are, are constantly being made premised on the, the, the money in the bank. Money exists in economy. Money is constantly moving in and out of economy from one economy into another. It's never static. Listen, even when someone gives you free money um, or gives you money for free, that money came out of an economy, a value exchange somewhere, and that money will still flow from you to some economy value exchange somewhere else. So somebody gave me 500 pounds for free. But that 500 pounds came from a value exchange somewhere. Somewhere it happened. Now that 500 pounds, guess what? I'm going to use it in some way, shape or fashion or the other to buy something, to get a service, whatever. What have I done? I've taken that money and I've plugged it back into another economic cycle because nothing is actually free. Oh, Jesus. Money given to you for free does not just appear out of the blue. If you trace it to its root, it came from some value exchange somewhere and ultimately it will enter into some economic value exchange somewhere else. Someone gives you money for free, right? But it might be free to you, but it was paid for by someone else. And sometimes <laughs> when they give you that for free, they still obligate you to a, to a future favor because you now owe them. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Somebody really blessed you gave you something for free. You might not have done it to, in, in, to obligate you, but the truth be told, whether you like it or not, there is still going to be some form of sense of obligation. If that person comes back to you a month's time, two months time to ask for help in one area or another, and you, you have a good memory and you can remember how he blessed you, you want to do it, okay? Money is always moving. And where is money moving to? Money is moving towards value. Money is moving towards value. So if you increase your value, you will not need to chase money. Money will chase you. Money will chase you. Questions to think about on value. Personal questions uh, for you to think about on value and to help you to um, apply, apply this to your life. What is your value proposition? What value proposition are you making to the world? What value proposition are you making to everyone around you? That is, what and how are you presenting what you offer? What do you offer and how are you presenting it? What is your value proposition? You know, when you're in an interview, what you're actually making is a value proposition in the interview. You are telling them, you are selling to them what 
you can do what you will do you are telling them the problems you will solve or, or or the questions that you will answer so what is your value proposition and how are you presenting it next question what is your value this has to do with your own personal assessment of your worth you see you can't be looking down on yourself and think that others will look up at you. No, you've got to assess your worth. That what's my value? What do I bring to the table? And how can I improve or increase that? Okay, we brings me to the next question. How are, are you increasing your value? How are you increasing your value? Are you increasing your value? So this is the question you need to be deep digging in here is how you are adding to your value or how you are improving your value. So let's say my value is at, attached to what I do as a speaker. How am I improving? How am I increasing my speaking ability? Maybe I'm a business analyst. What am I adding to my, uh, my, my potential, my competence? What further trainings am I adding to that which I already has, have to increase my value? Then number four, how are you protecting the perception of your value? Remember what I said earlier, it's not just about the, your real value, it's also about how your value is perceived. People move more readily based upon perception than even real value. It's all about perception. Perception is everything. So people will move on perception. Now, what, what, how do you protect the perception of your value? It is number one, by your presentations, how you present your value, but then also by your associations. Because people also are making per, per, ju, perception judgments based upon what you are associated with, who you are associated with. So you have to be deliberate about what are my associations and how is that impacting how I am perceived, how I, am, how I present myself to the world. And then number five question of value personal for you to answer is what is valuable to you? What are your own core values? These will, if, will tell you your priorities. As I start to round up, the purpose of money for the believer, as we're talking about all of this, is the next Wednesday is going to be really good because we're going to get even more practical. You, it's important that I still underscore once again the purpose of money for the believer. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that giveth you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. As it is this day. If God didn't want us to have wealth, he would not have given us the power to get wealth. He's given us the power to get wealth in itself is proof that he has a desire for us to have wealth. But this wealth is a wealth on purpose and for purpose. It has a mission. He says that I've given you the power to get wealth that I might establish, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers to this day. So it's money on a mission. It's for covenant purposes that he wants you to have wealth. It is for the extension of his kingdom upon the earth. 
And what is this covenant of the, that he's talking about of the fathers? Is the covenant that he caught and the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. I won't read it now. Time forbids me. But that, 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 that list of blessings he pronounces upon Abraham ends with, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the objective of God blessing you is so that through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To be blessed is to be empowered to prosper. So we see again that the purpose of all of this stuff, it might start sounded very uh, economic. The teaching I've been teaching so far on, on money and the value and all of those intrinsic and so on and so forth. You, you have to master it because ultimately the purpose is so that you can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So as we close tonight, let's get practical. How do you make money work for you? First, you must take control of your personal economy. You've got to take control of your personal economy. That means you have to put a track, a monitor on your personal currency. It's one thing to have the power to get wealth. It's another thing to be able to control that wealth or manage that wealth. In getting wealth, you need to understand the flow of money to you and the flow of money from you. You've got to be able to grasp your income and your expenditure. In amassing wealth, the first place to exercise control, this is not popular, but look, it's just the truth. I struggle with this too personally is to control your expenditure. Ex your expenditure. If you don't take control of your expenditure, no matter your income, it will still be draining away. So you've got to control. You've got to be knowledgeable about your expenditure. I, and I, I'm just being vulnerable and honest with you that my wife will sometimes be talking to me and say, okay, so how what's happening on the financial side? What's happening with your bank account? Or oh, how much did you pay for that? I, said, I don't know. I just paid for it. I, 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 and I, I, she'll be like, how won't you know? You're supposed to know what you're, you're doing with your money. How much did that cost? Oh, yeah, I don't know. We, we direct debits, pay this, pay that. But if you're going to be a money master, you should know those details. You should you should be checking what, what am I paying for? Because a lot of the time, you might even be overpaying for things and you're not meant to be over overpaying for. Yeah, you've got to master your, uh, and maybe, maybe psychologically, um, I, I sometimes I don't want to be overburdened with knowing all the expenses because oh God, can become a headache, right? But if you are going to be a money master, if you are going to manage your money, you've got to take control of your expenditure. Your expenditure must not ex exceed your income. So you need to sit down. That's okay. So what are my own sources of income? What are my sources of income? How much comes to me on a weekly or a monthly basis? Okay. What are my monthly expenditures like? Then you do the balance. And you want to check that are they, it's not healthy if they are cancelling out. <laughs> and it is definitely bad if your expenditure is more than your income because you're digging <laughs> a pit for yourself. What is healthy is when the income is obviously in excess of the expenditure, which gives you margin to save and not just to save, to be able to invest in the future. You've got to examine your expenditure. 
And some of the questions to help you in ex examining your expenditure is what motivates your spending? You have to check what are the things that, that motivate your spending. Where do you spend the most money? Do you live within a budget or are you a spontaneous spender? What is your attitude on credit purchases? Are you currently in debt and what are you doing to be able to get out of debt? Okay. Um, you need to also look at loans. Are you taking loans? There's a way to leverage loans, but you've got to check your habits as regards loans. Under what circumstances do you go borrowing? Never borrow to eat. If you have to borrow, borrow to invest. You have to also change your thinking. I'm getting a little bit practical. You have to now apply it in your own lives. You have to move from liability thinking to asset thinking. Asset thinking. An asset is something that puts money in your pocket while a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So you have to be checking what is my asset base. Listen, your asset base needs to exceed your liabilities. That should be your goal. It's, you cannot eliminate all liabilities. There are some essential liabilities in life. Clothing is depreciating in value, so you're going to have to change it. Cars, they're depreciating in value, so you're going to have to change it. That's They're all essential liabilities, but you've got to now learn this is the next level, how to turn liabilities into assets. That means I have to now start to find ways to make my, uh, my liability still put money in my pocket rather than just taking money out of my pocket. So um, I'm, uh, clothing is a liability, but how am I using my clothing to still attract wealth to me? A car is a liability, but if I'm using that car to get more work done or to be more efficient and therefore increasing my income, it balances out. Do you understand what I'm saying? So uh, the Uber driver, to him, his car, he's not necessarily seeing his car as a liability. He's seeing it as an asset because it is his tool to generate income for himself. And that's why he's going to choose a low-cost car. You see so many um, um, Uber cars that are hybrid because they want to keep the, the cost of running it low while the money is generating higher. These are just some practical tips right there, but I'm going to close on, on that point. Next week, you cannot afford to miss next week Wednesday. I'm going to have at least two financial experts on the platform with me next week Wednesday, and we're going to get real practical because we're now going to be talking about how do we as believers um, really navigate the times that we are living in. And these are people that have a vast portfolio of experience um, to help us with. So you don't want to miss next week. I want you to go out of your way to invite everyone you know that, look, this 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 series has been life-changing and this coming Wednesday is going to be simply off the hook and you will be blessed by it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen. Well, I want to encourage you to continue to support us in that which we do. So the various ways in which you can give to support us are now being shown on the screen. Please choose the way that is most preferred by you. And as you give, I trust God to bless and empower and to lift you in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you're out there, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, please direct message us on any of our platforms and we will guide you through the process of getting saved and help you to grow in the Lord also. Let's close out, close out tonight's service by sharing a word of prayer. I pray in the name of Jesus that you help 
your people, oh God, to gain mastery over their money and learn how to ultimately multiply it in the name of Jesus. Let's share the grace and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen and amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow you all the days of your life and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you.